scripture today is from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof from above him, and when they'd made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that thus they questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks Thanks be to God. This is a really interesting passage, um, and one that if you've been in church much, you've probably heard. And we are currently going through a series called Encountering Jesus. So we're looking in different ways and different people and how they encounter Jesus. And there are a lot of people encountering Jesus in this passage. This is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is the second chapter of Mark. And Mark kind of runs through a bunch of things that Jesus has done and kind of gets his ministry started in Mark 1. And now we kind of he brings Jesus back home to his house. And so here we see kind of a microcosm of his whole ministry. Mark's kind of giving us a preview of all the different things that's going to happen and all the different people that Jesus is going to encounter through his ministry. In this one little passage, there are crowds, there's a healing, the sins are forgiven, there are angry religious people, and Jesus proving himself to be who he says he is, and people praising Jesus. Jesus is setting the stage for who he is it's a pretty amazing story when we open it up and begin to look at it. Stacy and I have lived in a few different cities throughout our lives, and we've discovered that each of these places has kind of its own question to start the conversation. In Tulsa, where I grew up, the question was, what church do you go to? This was like one of the first questions my mom was asked when we moved 90 miles from Oklahoma City to Tulsa. Just completely different kind of culture, like the, your life revolves around church there. In St. Louis, it was, what high school do you go to? Because they could pinpoint your socioeconomic status, what your parents do for a a living, as well as your religious beliefs by just knowing what high school you went to in St. Louis. In Denver, it seems to be, where are you from, right? And I asked you that right away when you came here. It seems like no one is actually from Denver except for Maddie. So, um, and Gail is as well, so... Um, it's you guys are, well, I guess you're not unicorns anymore, but, um, you're still pretty rare. So, um, 
And really, this is a question of home, right? Where are you from? Where do you call home? We live in a time and space when we can move away, where we often do move away from where we grew up. It's even expected of us to go to college and to, to move off and follow kind of a career path. And it doesn't automatically mean that we cut ties with our homes, though. Even when we're at college and following our career, there's something about returning to our home, to places of origin. This can be an incredibly positive experience, but it can also be an incredibly negative one. It can be a place where we return for love and security and belonging, or it can be incredibly anxiety-inducing, something that we dread every year, and we have to take a couple extra meds when we go home uh, to be able to face our families as well, because it can be a place of some of our deepest hurts and wounds as well. Maybe this is the reason why we left in the first place, and maybe this is why we keep running away. We're going to make it on our own. We don't need anybody else. And even if that's the case for us, even if that's our story, we still long to find a home, to make a new home, maybe to have several homes ourselves. I think HGTV has accustomed us to thinking about like starter homes and forever homes. And we were driving home the other day and Michael said, Dad, is this our permanent home? And I said, well, no, that's heaven, you know, like immediate faster answer, right? Uh, but HGV, HGTV has made us think about what we do with our home on a regular basis. Are we going to renovate it? Are we going to flip it? Are we going to sell it? How much is it worth, right? One of the greatest challenges today is the affordability of homes. It's so incredibly expensive, and I think it cuts to the core of who we are because we are built to have a place that we call home. Home is about faith and forgiveness, and this passage is about faith and forgiveness. It's about where and why we make our home. It is where we place our trust and where we receive our greatest healing. Where we make our home, where do we put our trust? Where do we place our faith? It's interesting how this passage passage starts out. Jesus has returned home. He's just kind of completed his first tour of his ministry, but the word has gotten out. It's like a rock star returning home. Like People have heard of his healings, about his power and his deeds, and so they come and crowds gather at his house. And it's kind of a, a Jesus, like really a big picture of him, the ever-gracious host, filling his home, and he begins to teach all of them. And then in the middle of it, like the, the ceiling starts caving in. Five people have shown up four friends and a paralytic, and they have heard of Jesus' power, but the healing power, but there's no way to get to him. It says that the the house was filled. They were pushing in on Jesus. So they thought they'd go up and they'd dig out the roof. Pretty common, pretty easy for them to do that, but still really a dramatic thing to take place. And after dirt and rock come falling down on all the people in the house and they lower their buddy to Jesus, I think there would have been a collective hush at this moment and wondering kind of what Jesus is going to do. I mean, they just tore a hole in his roof. I lose it when my kids scratch the floor. I can't imagine if they were like digging through the roof. But Jesus sees their collective faith, the friends and the paralytic, and he says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. It's the faith that Jesus will heal the paralytic that drives them to carry him to the first place. It's faith 
that drives them to rip a roof off. It's faith that causes this commotion, and they believe they will not be arrested, but that their friend will be healed. It's faith that defines their action. Faith is trust. It identifies us. It defines us. Faith is where we make our home. And Jesus' declaration of his sins being forgiven is really a prelude to the desire that they have that he would be healed. It was commonly believed in the first century that, in the first century Judaism, that sin is what caused paralysis, even from your family or your parents or something you have done yourself. And so in pronouncing the forgiveness of sins, Jesus is going deeper than the outward paralysis that he has, and he's welcoming the paralytic and his friends to make their home in him to fulfill their desire for faith and trust. And we have a lot of options when it comes to where we want to make our home. When it was time for us to leave Atlanta, we had the opportunity to look all over the country, and we kind of dreamed, I kind of looked at it like, where are we going to go to college? Like, what's the dream school? What's the, where, where would we maybe end up if it all fell apart? That would be Tulsa. And we did f- spend five months there. But uh, even thinking and praying through that, it's like, no, we don't really want to. We think we're called somewhere else, so I'm not sure about this. Seattle, Chicago, Austin, we looked at all these places. But Denver, for us, felt the most like we were being called home. And while moving, moving sucks, it's hard, it's not the easiest thing, it's also not the hardest thing to just pack up our belongings and some boxes to sell and buy our home. It seems everybody's doing it right now. We have a lot of options where we make our home in the same way we have a lot of options about where we place our faith. Lots of people and organizations are spending a lot of money for and to vie for our faith. The challenge of faith, I think, is ingrained in us. It's not so much that we have all these options. It, that kind of feeds on our own radical individualism that we have for ourselves. Personally, I want you to see me as very self-sufficient. I can do it all. But the reality is I can't. And when I try, typically stress out, my anxiety goes through the roof, I'm lonely, and my back goes out, and I'm somewhat uh, paralyzed, right? I lay in bed for my 10th anniversary because my stress is through the roof. I'm seeing a, a back doctor now to hopefully take care of that, but I need friends then to come and help me. I'm not radically individual. Uh, indivi- excuse me, where are we? I'm not a radical individual. There we go. But we don't want to settle down. And we believe this is freedom. But in the endless options that we have, we become paralyzed. What if we make the wrong decision? We want to experience the world. All the world has to offer. So we try to keep as many options open. But what ends up happening is we never make any decision at all. We just mindlessly stroll or scroll through the buffet of life. And in doing so, we become merely tourists. We never experience being at home. We never experience being deeply known. We never experience being deeply loved despite our faults and who we are as people. One commentator said, Faith is first and foremost not knowledge about Jesus, but active trust that Jesus is sufficient for one's deepest and most heartfelt needs. Where have you placed your trust, your faith? Where have you made your home? 
Perhaps we've calloused our hearts so much because of the pain that we've experienced that we won't ever trust again, that we won't put our faith in anyone. Too many times, not again. Even Jesus won't be able to heal us, we believe. But Jesus is softly and tenderly inviting us to place our faith in him. And as we do, he will prove himself faithful. He is the one who can heal our broken hearts. Maybe you've tried to make so many different places your home. Maybe it's time to try Jesus, to test him, to make him prove himself to you. Maybe, just maybe he'll call you home for good. Because the reward of faith is having a home in Jesus, being known and loved. In Jesus' declaration that our sins are forgiven, Jesus is saying, you can make your home in me. I know your flaws. I know your shortcomings. I know your indecision and you're running away, but I still love you. And Jesus is willing to prove his faithfulness to us over and over again, always welcoming us back into his home, even when we continue to run away. That's where we should put our faith in Jesus, because he loves us, because he is trustworthy. But why? Why is Jesus the one in whom we should place our trust? Why should we make our home in him? Because he heals our broken hearts. It's this forgiveness that we receive that heals us. It's why we make our home in him. Because, see, the scribes were taking issue with Jesus granting forgiveness uh, of sins so freely, and rightly so. They're correct in saying that no one can forgive sins but God alone. It is blasphemous, blasphemous to say such a thing because there, God set up a system and it's a very right and ordered way to go about doing this. And the scribes were people who were supposed to uphold this system. You can't just grant forgiveness of sins to someone. Even the high priest was only able to uh, grant forgiveness and pronounce the forgiveness of sins uh, only once a year. And here it seems like Jesus is saying it's like it's nothing. But it wasn't nothing. And Jesus knew that it wasn't nothing and perceiving their hearts as he is able to do, he addresses their concerns. He says, just so you know, I do have the authority to do this. So you know that I have the authority to do this. He then turns and looks at the paralytic, and he says, take up your bed and walk. The paralytic is immediately healed and goes out of Jesus' house, presumably through the front door this time. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. This is a title that we've looked at previously. It comes from the Old Testament prophet Daniel. Daniel 7, the Son of Man, is representative of the people of God who is granted the authority to dispense judgment of the evil forces that oppose him. And so he has the authority to, to dispense this judgment and to oppose all that oppose him. But here in Mark 2, this authority that Jesus claims is not judgment but forgiveness. And to prove it, that he has both the authority and the ability, he heals the paralytic. It could have just been somewhat of a flippant pronouncement of sins forgiven. It could have gone no farther than that. But instead, it's a powerful display of the depths of Jesus' power to heal. And I think Jesus asks a really good question here. Which is harder, to heal or to forgive? Forgiveness is often seen as weakness in our culture. 
It would be better to judge, to condemn, to exact retribution on someone who has harmed us. It would certainly be easier, but forgiveness is power in itself. Forgiveness restores relationships. Forgiveness brings peace. Forgiveness ends wars. It digs through the superficial surface of relationships and goes right to the heart of what matters. And the reason forgiveness is so powerful is because it invites us to maintain our homes. And maintaining homes can be expensive if you own one, you know this, but forgiveness as well is expensive. It has a cost to it. Let's think about it this way. Just say, hypothetical here, you have a daughter, and she tries on your sunglasses, and in doing so, they break. It's hypothetical. Hypothetical. She says she's sorry, and she and you forgive her, but your sunglasses are still broken, and because she's five, hypothetically, she doesn't have money to buy them, and she can't fix them. So you have a couple options. You can go without your sunglasses and squint everywhere in the Colorado sun. Two, you can spend time trying to fix them with super glue or soldering them back together. Not only have you spent, again, hypothetically, Several hours trying to do this, but every time you put them back in your pocket where you've kept them for years, they break again, like immediately. Or three, which is what you're actually going to have to do, is you have to go buy new ones. And because they're prescription, you actually have to go see a doctor as well. It's the whole thing. You can't just pop into Target and get a new pair. See, in each of these scenarios, going without fixing them or buying new ones, there's a cost. And there's a cost to forgiveness. I think the challenge of forgiveness is consumerism. This is kind of the culture that we live in. See, as soon as we don't serve someone's purposes or needs anymore, we're discarded. We're traded in for a newer model or someone who will make us feel good about ourselves. If they don't agree with us politically or they've wronged us, we just cancel them. I don't need you anymore in my life, even if they're family. But forgiving someone says, you mean more to me than sunglasses. When God grants forgiveness, he says, you are not disposable to me. I will not discard you like others have. I will not treat you like the scorned paralytic. You are mine and you belong to me. I'll bear the cost of forgiveness. Maybe you don't want to forgive. Maybe you don't want to be forgiven. Maybe you don't want to be obligated to someone else, and especially not God, because remember, we're radical individuals, and perhaps that's why you moved away from home to begin with. We belong to ourselves. We make our own decisions. Our hearts are hardened, and I will never be hurt again. But we do this at a great cost, because we decide to, when we decide to never be hurt again, we decide never to be loved or never to love again. C.S. Lewis says it this way, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become Im- unbreakable, impenetrable, 
irredeemable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. The very heart of God is love. The very heart of God is forgiveness. It's central to his home. It's central to be welcomed to his family table. When God forgives us our sins, he brings us into his home. He makes us, he calls us his sons and daughters and calls us his own. He heals our broken hearts. When God sent Jesus to bear the cost of the sin, he creates secure belonging that can never be taken away. Jesus tells us stories of a shepherd who leaves the 99 to chase down the one, of an expectant father waiting for his prodigal son to return. But these aren't just stories that he told. This is who he is. Jesus himself goes to the cross to bear the cost of our sins so that we can know the depths of God's love for us. See, even before we belong to God, he pursues us with his costly forgiveness and love. It's our faith in Jesus that proves him to be trustworthy. It's receiving forgiveness from Jesus that we find our hearts are healed. It's in his sacrifice for us on the cross that we find our hearts can be healed and we are able to find our home in him. It's in Jesus leaving his home in heaven that he makes a way for us to stop running away, and to make our home in him. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful um, that you are a father and a good father, and that you are one who longs for us to come home. You are one who loves to see your children come and find their home in you. Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus to Um, show us the way to be uh, our older brother who comes after us, to be the shepherd who leaves the 99 to chase the one. We are grateful, Lord. Work on our hearts, soften them, so that we can see the love and forgiveness that you offer us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.